Amen. Good morning. If you guys will stand with us, we're going to sing. Um, just like Dave said, we're not here to, uh, to ignore what's going on or what happened before and what's happening after this service, but we are here to say that God is strong enough to carry us through. So if you guys will sing these words with us.
singing out together.
join me uh, in just a time of confession as we sing these songs and as we praise God as being the God of all creation, the one that's revealed himself in nature. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. As Romans 1 says, God has just made himself clear in nature. And uh, we, we see him everywhere. We see how great he is. That really leads us uh, to what's wrong with this world. And when terrible things happen, as they did this week, we see the evil out there. But as Christians, uh, we're a people that say, uh, yeah, there's evil out there. This is a broken world, but there's evil in here as well. And we are a broken people. And we gather as a confessing people saying that, that we're also a part of what's wrong with this world. And so we come not just praising God, but also confessing our own sin and taking hope in the gospel to forgive us and cleanse us and renew us. And so please pray with me as we uh, pray in confession to God this morning. Father, we do confess that we are burdened and beaten down by the evil out there, by the brokenness we see in the world, that even as we, as, as we celebrate how great you are in your goodness and creation and how clear your invisible attributes are throughout the world, as it says in Romans 1, we also confess that, that we are frustrated the ways that we've been sinned against. And, and when that happens, we can often overlook the way that we sin against others. And so we come as a people that, that look to you for hope and confess that even though we've been part of the problem, that even though we sin, that even though we, we don't do what we should, and often we do what we shouldn't do, and often we, we don't worship you, we don't praise you, as the creator of all of this beauty and all of this glory. Lord, that you are still a forgiving God, that you came to us, that you pursued us, and you grabbed hold of us, and you brought us back to yourself. And so we continue to worship you, not only as the creator God, but the redeemer God, the one that saves us from ourself and is restoring the brokenness of this world. Lord, we thank you that it pleases you to use us in this process, and we know that as we continue to praise you and worship you, seek you to be the one that lifts us up out of this hole that we're in, out of our own brokenness, that you will transform us, that you'll change our hearts, and you'll be able to use us in this community and in this world to bring glory to you. So we pray that you would do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. sing very much together, but you can get the hang of it if you haven't heard it before. Just sing these words. Lift us up. Peace, for we have. 
praise you for your beauty, God, and for being a strong God who's able to save us. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to remember you, God, to be ready for your coming. Lord, we pray that you will just invade our, our lives and help us to give everything over to you. God, as we, as we look at your word now, God, I pray that you'll help us to understand it and to see you for who you are understand the truth that you've given to us. God, help us to live that out every day. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome. And uh, if you'll open your Bibles to Matthew 24, we're con- continuing our series in Matthew. We are almost finished with the book of Matthew. We'll be finishing it up this month in November, and uh, then we'll move on to look at Christmas for a little while during uh, December, and then on to a new book after that. And uh, if you'll open up to Matthew chapter 24, we're going to read just the end of chapter 24, and then the beginning of chapter 25. Um, what we've been looking at the last few weeks, and I've been joking about it, is, is the end of the world, and the advantage of expository preaching, uh, just preaching through books of the Bible is that it forces preachers to deal with difficult subjects that they wouldn't want to deal with otherwise. So so I've been forced to deal with this. Um, But as we've looked at it, we've said there there are a lot of different opinions, there are a lot of different views, but the one thing that all Christians agree on is that our hope is in Jesus. We're not sure about the order of events, we don't have it all figured out, but we know that Jesus is coming back. And just as we sang just a minute ago, that, that return is what we look forward to. Christians have this peculiar paradox that we live in, uh, where we actually look forward to dying, okay? And, and, it, and it doesn't mean in like a suicidal, melancholy, Eeyore kind of way where we just want to die and we just want to give up. Um, some of us struggle with that. But, but as Christians, we all should look forward to being with Him. And Paul characterized this in Philippians where he said that it would be better by far for him to be at home with the Lord. But he says that God has left him here because he's got work to do. And that he's left here to be of use to others. And that really should be every Christian's attitude. And I have to confess, that's not always my attitude. I mean, I get little glimpses of that where, where the Spirit moves in my life, and I really feel that, and I really believe that. But that's, that's what we're shooting for. That's how we should live. That we should really live looking forward to meeting Jesus. And there's really two ways that happens. One is we die. And one is he returns before we've died. And that's kind of what we've been talking about the last few weeks. And Matthew is, is talking about the return of Jesus, which is saying about his return. We don't know when that's going to happen. But for Christians, our hope is in his return because we know it's a broken world. And the tragedy of this week just, just makes that even more clear. It makes it all the more clear that, yes, this world is, is broken. And although we may be able to order our lives and live in a good way and kind of get our stuff together at some small level... Um, there's, there's still brokenness. There's still sin in the world. And as we said earlier, there's still sin in us. And so our only hope is Jesus transforming our hearts, making us into people that don't just live for ourselves, but actually help make this world a better place by actually loving others and actually caring for those that God has put in our life. Uh, but our true hope is, is when Jesus returns and makes all things right, when there's no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain. And while we're here, before that happens, before we die or before he returns, we've, we've got time. And we've got work to do. And that's, that's what Jesus is talking about in our passage today. Jesus today is talking about how do you make use of the time that you have. In a world that, that is broken, in a world where tragedy happens, in a, in a community where we, we no longer feel safe, many of us. How do we live in that kind of world? How do we live in, in light of, of Jesus' return, in light of, of the delay? In light of the longing that we have now, that that it's not done yet, it's not finished, it's still broken and we still live in the middle of the brokenness, how do we live? Uh, The title we came up for this week is Alert. 
And what we're going to see as we read the, the end of chapter 24 and then the parables going into chapter 25 is we see that God gives multiple, Jesus gives multiple parables, multiple pictures for what it looks like to live in an alert way. What does it mean to be ready, to live alert, to look forward to his return? So I'm going to read just the first kind of intro part, the end of chapter 24, starting in verse 42. It's the last verse we looked at last week. But I'm just going to read these three verses, verse 42, 43, and 44. And then we're going to then look at the three different parables that give the different views of how we should live, how we should be alert. So starting in verse 42. Therefore keep watch. Literally in the Greek, that's stay awake. It's like the night watchman, the one that's on guard, the one that's got night duty. Literally, stay awake, be alert. So verse 42, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also, you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Let's pray. Father God, we ask you to teach us today. Lord, we, we know that you are ultimately our teacher, and we thank you that you haven't left us without instruction, but you've given us your word, and you give us your spirit to actually make sense of it for us, so that I, I pray that as I speak, it, it wouldn't be confusing, but that we would get clarity, and we would just hear from you and hear from your word, and that we would understand it this morning. So Lord, help teach us, help change our hearts, help make us soft and ready to hear what you have to say. pray in Jesus' name. Well, it was, a, it was a couple of years ago, and I had just fallen asleep. I had just fallen asleep. And I don't know if, if you're like me, but in that first half hour or hour when you've just fallen asleep, or someone calls or something happens, you're kind of out of it, right? You're, you're real groggy right in those first first half hour, that first hour of sleep. And, and I, had just fall, <clears throat> I had just fallen asleep in our old house, and I heard this just loud boom, this just smack, like something had just slammed up against our front door. And of course, it's... It startled me awake. I, I jumped up out of bed and, and kind of stumbled towards the front door to try to figure out what was going on. And uh, what I saw was someone that had thrown a bag, we'll call it trash, but a, a bag of bad stuff against our front door. Some vandal, some kid probably driving by, threw something up against our solid glass door. Thankfully, the glass didn't break, but it made a really loud, really loud crashing sound at 11.30, midnight, whatever it was at night and woke us up. And I always think of that when I read this little section of Scripture, where he says, if the man knew what time his house was going to be broken into, he would have stayed awake. He would have stayed alert. And you know, after I cleaned up the mess and after I went back to bed, I didn't sleep very well, right? Because I was, I was nervous. I was alert. It, it was hard for me to settle down because I kept imagining catching them when they come by the second time. You know, I, I walked up and down the street for a little while before I went back to bed to see if I could find them. And I decided it's not good to wander the streets of my boxer. So I went back in and <laughs> went to sleep. But, but I'm just, I'm nervously waiting, you know, thinking, oh, I wish I could have caught these guys. I wish I could have been awake. I wish I could have been ready. And, and as usual, Jesus uses these weird metaphors, you know, sometimes um, negative metaphors, really, to, to talk about uh, these positive and beautiful things. He's saying, just as, as you wish you could stay awake to catch a thief breaking into your house, you're going to wish that, that you were totally ready, totally alert, totally awake when I return. Now, obviously, Jesus' return is not going to be negative, bad, like a thief breaking into our house or like a vandal slamming something onto our front door. But it's going to be sudden. And it's going to be something he's saying we're, we're not going to quite be ready for. We're not going to know when it's going to happen. That's what we've seen in the last few few weeks. We're not going to know when Jesus is coming back. As much as we want control and want to figure out how everything's going to go down and interpret prophecy, we just know he's coming back. And apparently it's going to be a surprise. It's going to be sudden. And he's going to give us now three parables that say, this is what it means to be alert, to be awake, to be watchful. How, how do you stay alert? How do you stay ready for him to come back? The first parable picks up in verse 45. The first parable is a short one. It's just verse 45 through 51. In this first parable, I'm calling it being alert to care. That God's going to give us, Jesus is going to give us people to care for. And we need to be alert to those people, alert to those opportunities. Starting in verse 45. 
Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put in charge he will be put in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. That, that's where we find ourselves, right? It's 2,000 years after Jesus uh, died and rose again, and we're still waiting. The master's been away for a long time, so we have an option. We can stay ready and stay alert and continue to believe that he is returning. Or we can say, you know what? The master's, the master's been a long, a long time away. I'm going to do other things. So he says, end of verse 48, My master's staying away a long time, verse 49, And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the negative example here is saying, he's not coming back. It's been a long time. It's just giving up on his return and saying, I'm not going to care for the people that God has given me to care for. But I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to goof off. I'm going to abuse other people to just try to get whatever I can get to make life better. Just try to get myself through this. I'm not going to care about taking care of other people. And Jesus says, you're going to regret it. If you live that way, you will regret it. It's not uh, in style these days to talk about hell. It's not in style these days to talk about judgment. Uh, but Jesus talks about these things. He says in verse 51 that, that the master, when he comes back and finds that person that says, he's never coming back. It doesn't matter how we live. I'm just going to do whatever I want. He has some hard words. He says, I'll cut him to pieces. Assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First of all, I think it's interesting to hear Jesus himself saying, there, there is this place apart from God, apart from the master, where we say, I don't want the master. And the master says, okay, then, then you're shut out. Then, then you go outside. Then, then you're locked out. He paints it in a horrible light. It's a horrible place. It's not something you want to do. It's not a place... You want to go. We don't know what hell is exactly, but we know it's bad. We know we don't want to be there. And as we understand it, Jesus says, whoever wants to not be there, I'm, I'm the road out of there. God says, come on. But throughout Matthew, he said, the, the kingdom is at hand. It's, it's near. The door is open. Come on in. That was his message. That was John the Baptist's message. Just repent and come in. The doors are open. And those that reject God's offer of salvation, God's offer of refuge, are those that then are cast outside, those that say it doesn't matter. He's not coming back. We can't, we can't count on it. I think it's also interesting to note in verse 51 where it's describing this horrible place. He says he sends them out to the place of hypocrites. And we need to remember that, that hell is not just a place for bad people. Hell is a place for religious hypocrites as well. But there's two ways we reject God. One way is saying... I don't care what you say. I don't want to follow you. I don't want to serve you. But there's another way of rejecting God, and that's the way of the religious hypocrites that Jesus continues to butt against throughout his ministry as he, as he has this conflict with the Pharisees, with the Jewish leaders again and again. Saying using religion to mask the reality that you don't really want a relationship with God, that, that's not really a solution either. Either way, submitting to Jesus and asking Jesus to save you, that's the only answer. Not doing it on your own, not doing a religious dance and being a hypocrite, being a faker, putting on a mask, that's what hypocrite means. And not completely rejecting him out of hand either way. Either way is wrong. There are two different ways to reject God. What does it look like to make the most of the time, though? What does it mean to be alert to care? The image he gives is, gives is uh, feeding those. He puts us in charge to feed others. Got a picture of a hot bowl of soup. Um, it's not really cold yet, but, you know, maybe next month it'll get cold. But, but it's fun to think of, you know, putting stuff in a crock pot, warm food, hot bowl of chili, hot bowl of soup when it's cold outside. I, I get these images of what it means to be alert, to be about Jesus' business while he's gone. I get this image of grandma, right? Grandma feeding, feeding you, right? Did any of you have a grandma that loves to feed you? Anyone have a grandma like that? Uh, my, my mom has now become that kind of grandma too. You know, just always, oh, have you had enough to eat? I want to feed you more. And just, you know, that desire to, to fill you, to nurture you. And Jesus says this, this is one of the images of what it looks like to be about the Father's business while he's gone. To wait for Jesus 
to make the most of our time, to be alert. What does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to make the most of our time? We're, we're waiting for him to return. We're, we're waiting to die and be with him, either one, whatever it is. How are we going to meet Jesus? What are we going to do while we're waiting? He says, feed the other servants. He says, think of yourself as a servant that's been in charge to feed other servants. The famous saying of, of sharing the gospel is, is one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. Have you all ever heard that one? I think this fits in with that image. He's just saying, you're just a servant. You're nothing special. But God's given you a job to do. God tells you to go feed the others. He says, share what you've been given with others. Take care. We need to be alert to care for others. The next parable that we get is that we should be alert to party. Alert to party. And this is one of those weird parables. A lot of times we don't get because we get distracted by the, like the cultural weirdness, the distance between us and the Middle Eastern culture at that time. But this is basically a parable about a big party. It's a parable about the biggest party that someone could have at that time. And we looked at this several weeks ago, too, when we talked about the king's party and the idea of the kingdom of heaven being compared to a big wedding feast. Well, here again, that, that idea comes up again. And he says, waiting for me to return is like preparing for a big party. Because as we said, Jesus is our hope. He's, he's the bridegroom that we're waiting, the star of the party that we're waiting to have come back to us. It's a little different culturally in, in two ways. One is there's all this talk about lamps and oil, and we don't understand that because we don't use oil lamps, right? But just think of like flashlights and batteries, okay? Just think of, you know, they're, they're trying to have lights for this party, and part of celebrating is, is having the batteries power those lights, and they just want to be ready. So when they're talking about the oil and the lamps, they're just talking about basic preparations so that they can celebrate the bridegroom. The other thing that's different for us is in our weddings, we celebrate who? Who do we celebrate usually? Who's the center of the wedding? The bride, right. But, but in the first century, and especially in Middle Eastern culture, really they're celebrating the groom, the bridegroom. And so that's a little different for us too, and, and you know, just refrain from making any judgments on those cultural differences, but that's just how it is. And, and that reminds us that, that Jesus, our groom, who we're waiting for, is the center of the party. He's the center of, of worship. So as we read this parable, I'm just kind of trying to put it in context here. Starting in 25, it says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Ten virgins, just think ten maidens, ten bridesmaids, okay? Celebrants for the wedding. So ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. So here's a picture of one of those oil lamps. If you've had a tiki torch, anybody have a tiki torch that you put in your backyard, right? It doesn't work without the oil, right? The, the, uh, the, the wick, whatever that's called, it just it wicks the oil up to feed the fire, but if there's no oil, there's no fire. And that's the same issue here. They have these lamps, and they can't have the fire, they can't have the light, they can't join in the celebration if they don't have oil. So it says, the wise took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So both those that were staying alert fell asleep, and those that weren't alert fell asleep. So here we say it's, it's, not about, it's not really about sleeping per se, but being alert, falling asleep is kind of a greater metaphor for what it looks like. So he's, he's helping you see that it's, it's not about you may never sleep, and it's just sleep deprivation, and there's no rest for those that are staying alert for him. In this story, they actually fall asleep, but they fall asleep in a prepared way. They fall asleep, but they're still ready. They're still alert. So in verse 6, at midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with, went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. So those that were ready, even though they were asleep, they were ready. And when the bridegroom came, they went into the party and they celebrated with him. They had the oil, they had the lamps, they had the lights to celebrate. To be a part of the party and the celebration with the groom. And the door was shut. Verse 11, later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch. Literally again, stay awake. But keep watch. Figuratively. Be alert. Because you do not know the day or the hour. You don't know when he's coming, so be ready. Be ready. Do what you need to prepare now for the party. Christians, we're not very good at partying, are we? We're not very good at, at celebrating. We have kind of a bad reputation for being 
uh, for being killjoys, for being those that don't want to celebrate, that don't, don't see the good and don't celebrate and don't enjoy the common grace in life. I found another picture here of fireworks because I wanted you to think about um, ways that our community celebrates something big, ways that we throw parties. Because that's what's going on in this community. The, the wedding was the biggest party they had. It would, be, it would be like our 4th of July celebration when we have fireworks. Or like Christmas when we put lights everywhere. We're about to go into the Christmas season. You'll see lights everywhere to celebrate Jesus. And they're saying that's, that's part of what it means to be a Christian, to be alert to the party, to be alert to the celebration while Jesus is away. That we would have a concept that we should be partying and celebrating and rejoicing in who He is and what He's done for us. And that we would be look, looking forward to His return. I, I want us to think about, what, what does that look like for you? Because all of us, we live in different ways, right? Some, some of you think that being a Christian just means being dour and, and upright in some kind of stiff, painful sort of way, right? But, but God is calling us to be a part of this cosmic party, this cosmic celebration. That even while we, we are sad because he's not back yet, and even while we're sad because of, of tragedy, because of brokenness, because of sickness, because we're, we're all dying, some of us slower and some of us faster than others, we're all, we all have disease, some of us more, some of us less, we all have pain, we all have relational difficulties, we, we all are a part of this tragic, broken world. We all struggle with things going wrong in this world. But still in the midst of that, God calls us to be preparing, to be ready, to be thinking about celebrating Him. To be about specifically celebrating His return, even in the midst of the delay. It's, it's that paradox I talk, talked about earlier, that paradox like, like Paul talks about, that at one level it would be better for me to, to just die and be with Jesus. But I don't do that. I, I stay here so I can bring more into the celebration with me. I stay so that I can be... That, the one that, that leads the procession, the one that, that brings others along, the one that helps others to celebrate Him when He finally comes. How are you making the use of your time? Are you celebrating Him? Do you see Him as something to celebrate? The, the, next, the next picture we get is the picture of, of work. The picture of being alert to work. Alert to, to investing, to, to producing, to working, to making the most of what God has given us. And this is a famous parable called the Parable of the Talents. Starting in verse 14, it says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. So this man, this master, this wealthy person is entrusting what he has to his servants, to those under him. Verse 15, it says, To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one, and each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gain five more. So the man with five talents takes what God has given him. His talents, literally talents here, means bars of silver. Okay? So he's been given large sums of money. Um, at minimum, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. But probably in the more fair way of comparing what those talents could buy back then compared to what that, you know, that kind of property that you could buy with that back then compared to today, it would be like millions of dollars. So, so we're talking millions of dollars, most likely. But lots and lots of money. And he's entrusted the servant with it. And this first servant takes what he's been given and invests it. He works. He takes it and he, he produces with it. He puts his money to work and gains five more. So also the one with the two talents gains two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. After a long time. In each of these, there's a delay, right? In, in each of these, there's this feeling that it's not going to happen to you. This feeling that my house is not going to be broken into. Or if you're the servant caring, taking care of others, oh, no, he's not going to return. I can just do whatever I want to. Or, or with the other, the other parable about the party, oh, it's a long delay. We can do whatever we want. We'll have time later to, to make preparations for the party. And here again, we have this long delay theme that comes throughout it. It's this idea that we don't know when Jesus is coming back. There's going to be this delay. There's going to be this tension. We're going to feel like he's not coming back. But he's going to come in an unexpected time, in an unexpected manner. So after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. 
Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained you five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's, that's what we want to hear, right? That's what we want to hear when Jesus comes back. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I entrusted you with this. What, what has he entrusted you with? Are you spending it for him? Or are you clutching and protecting and hiding it in fear, like that last servant? So he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two. See, I've gained two more. His master replied again, same way. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So here we get two different people given different things. They're not comparing what they've been given. The guy with the five is not bragging against the guy with the two. The guy with the two is not complaining that he's been only given two talents. They both take what they've been given and they invest it. They spend it for the master's glory. Verse 24, Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit, on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, we have a stark contrast. We have this final judgment, this final judgment imagery, this, this assessing of the accounts, right? The settling of the accounts. Where he has, says, some of you have spent what I've given you. Come enjoy my happiness. Come be a part of the party. Come, come join in my happiness. You've spent it for me. You're going to be blessed with more now. And then there's others that, that, that have a different mindset. And I think this last piece where we see the different mindset, we see the different view of the one that buries the talent, I think that's a key to really this whole section. I think that's a key because as we move through this, we can, we can start to see and start to think that there's just a difference in how we live our life. And if we live our life well, we're going to enjoy the Master's happiness. We live our life poorly we're going to be cast out. And we can start to think again, like every other religion in the world, that this is just a system of works. That this is just a system of weighing the good and the bad. The good go over here, the bad go over there. But, but there's this, this gospel key here in, in the attitude, in the way that this last servant sees the master. The reason he didn't do anything with his talent is because he didn't believe the master was good. He didn't trust that the master was generous. He said, Master, I knew that you are evil, you are hard, you're unfair, you take what does not belong to you. The other servants apparently thought they could take risks. They thought that the master was generous. They thought that they could live their life in freedom and spend what God has given them without fear of reprisal, knowing that the master is more generous than, than what they deserve. But the final servant, he doesn't see the master that way. He sees the master as someone that's harsh, someone that's unfair, someone that takes what doesn't belong to him. And really my question for you and for me this morning is, is how do you see the master? Because that's going to transform how we actually spend the time that we have. That's going to decide whether or not we're alert, whether or not we care for the people that God's been uh, giving us to care for or we abuse them. Whether or not we prepare to party and celebrate with God or we just blow off our life and waste the time we have. Whether or not we invest the talents, invest the resources, invest the money that we have, or we just hide it. We live in fear. It, it all comes down to how you see God. How you see Him. Do you see Him as generous? Do you see Him as one that gives more than He takes? Or do you see Him as one that takes more than He gives? I want to appeal to you that if you understand the, the God of the Bible rightly, if you understand the real message of this book, the central message of this book is that we have brought sin to the table, but God has brought grace and forgiveness to the table. That we have blown it, but God gives us salvation. God gives us forgiveness. 
And he demonstrates that centrally through the cross. Through coming and living that perfect life that we couldn't live and then dying that death to take our place, to forgive us. And that's what he shows us in the cross. That's the central story of the Bible. Even apart from the New Testament and the teaching on the cross in the New Testament, if you just scan the whole Old Testament, the whole Old Testament is the story of our sin and our brokenness and how we can't get it right on our own, but how God continues to make promises to people saying, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. He tells Abraham, I'm going I'm to bless the whole world through your seed. Not because you've done things right. If you've read the Old Testament, he doesn't do much right. But I'm going to fix the world. I'm going to take care of it. The promise, the first promise he makes in Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve fall into sin, is he says, Eve, you're going to have a son someday. Someday a son will come. It's going to crush evil. It's going to crush the serpent. I'm making this promise. It's going to happen. That's the central story of the Bible. That we're sinners, but God's a forgiver. That he's more generous than what we deserve. That he's a generous master. And so we can spend what he's given us. Because he's given it to us to spend, to work, to invest, to do something with it. And so to live in a way that's alert, that's ready for Him to return, means trusting Him. I know for some of you, you you struggle with that. Because you've been given false pictures. Maybe you've heard from preachers that that just talk about how angry God is. And indeed, God is angry at sin. And God is a God who judges sin. And we can't hide that. We've talked about that in just these passages. How there there will be a final judgment. Those who reject Him will be cast out. But still the central message is that he's a God of love, that he's a God of grace, a God of generosity that gave himself for us. And when you see him that way, then you're like the one who has much. It says in 25, for everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from. If you understand that one little bit that God is gracious, God is generous, he gives more than we deserve then you're the one that has. It will always have more. You'll always receive more. But if you don't get that, then you'll lose everything else that you have. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you help us to see you rightly and to spend our lives for you. Lord, I pray that you would help, help us to live in an alert way, a way in which we spend our, our lives and our resources and our time for you a way in which we care for those that that you've put us over to care for, a way in which we celebrate you and join in the great party of the universe, that we join in with all creation that praises you and gives glory to you. And Lord, that we would invest the resources, that we would work with what you've been given us, whatever talents, whatever money, whatever skills we have, that we would spend them for you because we know you're generous, because we know we can take risks, because you love us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. And we pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to stand with us?
giving us the opportunity to continue to worship you, even in the midst of, of our struggle. Oh, Lord, we pray for those families that are hurting uh, this week, that are grieving the loss of loved ones. We pray that you would be their comfort, that you would be their shepherd. We pray that you would use us to bring comfort and to bring your presence to this community. Lord, we thank you for giving us that privilege of being a part of what you're doing in the world. And we pray in Jesus' name.